Any gardeners here? Any farmers here? A couple of y'all, right? So uh, I grew up, my mom grew up on a farm, and uh, and when I grew up, we, we didn't have a farm by the time uh, she married my dad, but we did have a like an acre garden, and it was enough to make every middle school or summer miserable, uh, you know, weeding and tapping beans and shucking peas and husking corn and picking berries and whatever. But uh, that last week, you know, you, as you get older, you appreciate that. And last week, my mom visited and brought just bags of fresh vegetables for me and my family for me and my wife and kids, and it was just awesome. And one of the things that you learn about farming is patience, right? Like you don't like just plant the seed. And and I always think that farming, I remember as a kid, that like this is a side note, it's not in my notes, you get this for free. And so like, I just remember like my dad and I, like before the farming season, the gardening season, we would go to my friend's house who had cattle and shovel manure, right? And we put that all over the garden and we plow that in. And I'm like, only God could come up with the idea of you take a dead seed, you put it in the ground, you cover it with cow manure, and then water it, and it grows. Only God would come up with that idea, right? Like, that's the craziest idea ever, but it takes patience to farm, right? You don't plant the seed, and out comes the fruit or the crop. Uh, You have to wait, and really, today's sermon is, and we're kind of drawing the book of James to a close here, and today's sermon is, that's the illustration that James uses when we're suffering, okay? And, uh, and, I, and I think this really, this text kind of comes full circle where if you remember the very first week, what did James remind us? Count it all joy, my brothers. Anybody come, know, remember what comes next when you go through various trials, right? And so today it kind of comes full circle with he's now talking about to a group of believers that are going through a difficult time. They're suffering. And I would tell you, and so this is not going to encourage you, but you came to church this morning, so like you're either in a trial, you're coming out of a trial, or you're about to go into a trial, right? Like life's hard, it's broken until Christ returns and he sets everything right. It's difficult. And so James gives us some real tools here at the end of the letter uh, to remind us, man, how do we suffer well? And part of that is really thinking like a gardener, thinking like a farmer. So let's dive in, all right? The first thing that James reminds us this morning is we need to have patience when we're enduring difficulty or enduring suffering, right? We have to remind our mind and remind our heart to be patient. And actually, the idea here, the, the word in the original language is not just going through difficult seasons or difficult circumstances, uh, which we all, you know, maybe you're here and you're, you're struggling with a health condition, right, or a financial challenge or whatever, but he actually, the actual word here is diff, dealing with difficult people. Anybody have difficult people in your life, right? 
Anybody married to one of them, right? That My wife's hand would be like, yes, I'm married to a difficult person. So, uh, so when we're dealing with difficult people, right, we, we have to have patience, James says. In fact, this letter was written to people that were poor, and they were probably suffering injustice at the hands of the cultural elites. And so, you know, James is encouraging this church to have patience, which, of course, anybody know what patience means? Anybody know what define patience? Anybody know? It means what? It means long suffering, right? We are to have patience when we're dealing with difficult people. And so, so when you're in the middle of a trial, you have to preach the gospel of Christ to your own heart and remind yourself of the eternal perspective that the Lord sees, the Lord rewards, and we have to be patient and long, sometimes suffer long for the timing of the Lord and the Lord's deliverance. Now, James gives us some really helpful handles on how to do this. So point number two, right? We need to anticipate the Lord's coming. So when we're suffering, one of the things that our mind should be gravitating towards is the day that our faith becomes sight, right? So either we're going to pass from this earth and our faith becomes sight and we're going to see the Lord face to face, uh, or the Lord is going to return. And James encourages us to be mindful of the Lord's returning. James 5 verse 7, check this out. James says, so we started with this, be patient therefore brothers, until what? Until the coming of the Lord. Now he uses his agricultural illustration. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. How many times when you're at the peak of life, like life's going really good, the finances are great, you're having a great vacation, whatever, you're with, how many in the, your marriage is going through a great time, the kids are all obeying all the time, straight A's in school, all, it's all going great. How many, when life is at its peak, are you going, man, I can't wait for Jesus to return? Anybody? No. When things are going great, you're like, this is great. Earth is great, right? It's usually when things aren't going so great, right? How many of you, when you're you're low, you're struggling, your heart is hurting, your body's suffering, there's something going on that causes suffering. How many of you in that moment go, man, I sure wish Jesus would come back right now. Anybody think like that? I do, right? Man, I... I can't wait to be with the Lord one day. And, and so there is an actual element to suffering that encourages us to be eternally minded. And I think that's healthy, and I think that's good, actually. So now a couple thoughts I want to give you on the idea of focusing on the return of Christ. And, and James here reminds us that as Christians, verse 8, where he says, for the coming of the Lord is at hand, the theological that we like to use for this is the return of Christ. As Christians, we should remind ourselves the return of Christ is imminent. That means he can come at any moment. And as Christians, we should, as we go through this week, we should be living in such a way that we are reminding our hearts and our minds, hey, Christ could come at any time. And we need to be ready for the coming of the Lord. And that does a couple things for us. Ready? Letter A. It gives us hope, 
right? Man, God is going to come. Jesus, the Son of God, is going to come, and he's going to return. And all that is broken when he returns is going to be set right. Isn't that great news? Listen, I got this Achilles thing going on right now. Like, I can't even walk from here to there, and I'm like, that's going to feel better. Isn't that great news? Like, man, that's awesome. I, I even envision that I'm going to be a good golfer. Like, that's my hope. I don't know if that's a promise. But, man, all that's broken, all the injustices. I love what the Apostle Paul says. Look at this in Romans chapter 8. I love what Paul reminds us of in Romans chapter 8, verse 22. He says, he says this here. He goes, we need to turn this microphone off behind Sean because we're getting feedback. I'm just kidding. Is mine not working? I'm too loud. I'm too, no, am I too loud? You want, can I take this off? Okay. Can you not hear me? I talk loud anyway. I don't need a microphone. All right, here we go. All right, so here we go. Here's what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 22. Paul says, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So every mom's like, oh yeah, I know that, okay? And so Paul's saying, all that's broken in the world is, is waiting like a mom giving birth for the return of Christ, right? Verse 23, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. So once we become a follower of Jesus, the Spirit of God comes inside of us, and the Bible says this is the first fruits of what's eventually going to come. And what is the Spirit doing? It's groaning inwardly as we eagerly await for the adoptions as sons and the redemption of our bodies. Listen, as we long for the return of Christ, it should give us hope, man. When he comes, it's take your best day on the planet and multiply it by a thousand. It's going to be amazing, right? And so we should be long longing and hoping for the return of Christ, and that gives us hope. Secondly, anticipating and longing for the return of Christ produces holiness, right? We should be living in such a way as Christians that we, and so and so this becomes, in diff, and I think the reason James brings this up here is in difficult times when we're suffering, it's sometimes it's easy for our hearts and minds to want to cut spiritual corners, right? To cheat, to cut the corner, to get through this quickly, right? Maybe out, we think we're owed something, and so we maybe steal or sin creeps at the door when we're suffering. And I think that James says, I want you to suffer patiently, and I want you to remember that Christ is going to return. And in remembering, I'm reminding our hearts that Christ can return at any time. It produces holiness. I remember when I was a youth pastor, and I did a series on dating and things like that. And I said to the students, I said, listen, when you go out on a date, it is a good thing to remind your heart and mind that Jesus can come back at any moment, right? Like, what do you want to be caught doing in that moment, right? So it's kind of funny, but it's also kind of true, right? And there's things in my life that if I'm honest, like in my parenting, you know, how I'm parenting in the moment when my kids have caused high level of frustration, right? Has that ever happened to you parents? Your kids probably behave all the time, but mine were not always perfect. So, uh, and so like in that moment where they needed parental fatherly discipline, 
it wasn't always done in a spirit of gentleness, right? And so if Christ had returned in that moment, I, I may have been like, oh man, or pastoring or whatever it is that we're doing. It is a healthy and good thing to remind our hearts and our minds Christ can return at any moment. What do I want to be found doing, right? And my hope is what you want to be found doing is whatever it is that the Lord has called your hand to in that moment, right? So if it's Monday and he's called you to work, you need to work as unto the Lord. And so, because a lot of times you might be saying, well, I want to be caught praying. Well, that's great if it's during your prayer time, but if you're at work, you better be working, right? If you're, you know, if you're parenting, you better be parenting. We All that we do in life is an opportunity to worship the Lord. And so we need to remind our hearts, Christ can come at any moment. And when we do, I want to be doing what he's called me to do, my hand being put to the plow with holiness and righteousness. Let us see. We need to anticipate reward, right? The return of Christ, James reminds us, and that's where this illustration of the farmer, right? It's okay to eat of the fruit that you've planted and weeded and taken care of, right? And so and so my mom would even tell you when she does a garden, right, not only does she have enough for her and for my dad, she has enough to share with others, right? There's just so much produce. And so, and so it's okay to enjoy the reward. And so we want to wait for the day when Christ returns, sets everything right, and guess what? God sees... 1 Corinthians 15, and God rewards, and he is going to bless our socks off if we remain faithful to him. All right, third thing I want you to see. We can patiently endure hardship and suffering because we're reminded, number three, of the Lord's coming judgment. James reminds us that God, not only is he going to reward the faithful, but he's going to judge those who have created injustices to this church, right? And so James chapter 5, verse 9, James says, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Um, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm a grumbler. All right. I, I, this is, this, this passage convicted me, man. I can be a grumbler. Uh, one of the things that the Browns do a lot, I don't know if you guys do this. I hope you do actually. The Browns at my house, probably three nights a week, we find some time to sit down around the table and play a game. Any game players here? And we play them all, man. We play lots of games. And, uh, and so my daughter, I, the whole time we're playing the game, whatever it is, and we play card games, board games, whatever, the whole time we're playing a game, I'm grumbling. These are the worst cards. This is the worst deck. I'm going on and on. Nothing's going my way. And then I end up winning. And she's like, why do you grumble and complain? I said, because I felt like I was going to lose, and I like to win, you know? And so I just grumbled throughout. And when we're suffering, man, it is easy to grumble and complain. And you know what it's easy to do? It's actually easy to look at a brother or sister in Christ, maybe someone in your small group, someone in your church, who God seems to be blessing while you're suffering and begin to even grumble against others, right? And be like uh, other believers and think, man, why do they have it so easy and I have it so difficult, And James is reminding us that God sees, God rewards, and he also judges. And we need to check our spirit about grumbling. I'll tell you, nothing makes me more nervous in a church than disunity and grumbling. 
right? Like, oh, I can't. Like, if you have an issue with someone, I always say this. If you have an issue with someone, go to the leader or go to who you have an issue with and get it straight. We're all for a healthy, clearing conversation. But it is not healthy to be a grumbler, right? And and James warns us here that we are, when we're, and it's especially easy when we're suffering to become a grumbler. Now, I've got really good news for you. Anybody, well, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but everybody's hand would go. Anybody here ever suffered an injustice against you, right? Everybody, everybody. And, and here's the thing. It's because we're sinners. We live in a sinful world. In fact, not only have you suffered an injustice, you've even caused an injustice, right? Because you've sinned against someone else. And so, but here's the really great news about the scriptures. Did you know, because James reminds us that God is the judge, did you know that no one ever gets away with it? So whatever wound you have, and you're like, Pastor, you don't know how deep this wound goes. You don't know how deep this hurt goes. Did you know that no one gets away with it according to the scriptures? Either a person will bow a knee to the gospel of Jesus Christ and receive the repentance and forgiveness of Christ and the injustices and wounds against you or others will be paid for by Jesus on the cross or the person will reject the gospel and they will stand before God one day and God will dole out justice as he sees fit. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, he says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, right? We don't have to seek our own revenge. We don't have to seek our own justice. The Lord promises to take care of that. And so it frees us up as believers to forgive people and turn justice over to the Lord in his timing. Isn't that great news? And so we don't have to walk around as Christians and be bitter and worried about injustices because the judge is standing at the door and he will judge righteously and perfectly. All right, number four. James, in the middle of suffering, reminds us to remember our examples, right? So there's biblical examples of followers of God, followers of Christ that have suffered. And so in James chapter 5, verse 10, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. I hope that you have taken this year... Uh, and if you if you haven't, I want to challenge you to, and it's never too late to start. Like we are, t- we've challenged the church this year to read through your Bible, right? And a lot of people have never read through the Bible. I hope you're doing that. We gave out a dwell booklet. I can give get you one if you want one. You can pick up right where we are. And one of the things that as I've been reading through the Bible in the years, just reading through the prophets, right? You know, Moses. I mean, as soon as God, I mean, can you even imagine the plagues and the parting of the Red Sea and all the amazing things that the Lord did to deliver the people of Israel? And as soon as they get out into the desert, making their way to the promised land, the first day they're thirsty, the people start grumbling, right? Like Moses dealt with so much grumbling. Oh, I don't know how he did it, right? I mean, incredible, right? He, he was a prophet. Elijah Remember, Elijah took on the prophets of Baal, and then he was exhausted afterwards, and he suffered for the Lord. And Jeremiah was the suffering servant and wrote for us lamentations, right? And, and, and I always love Hebrews. So Hebrews chapter 11. Anybody know what, what we kind of call Hebrews chapter 11? What do we call it? The hall of what? Faith, right? The hall of heroes, hall of faith, right? So it's all these folks that walked with the Lord in faith. And I love Hebrews 11 because the first half of the heroes of the faith 
receive earthly blessing, right? We see that in the text. They get blessed by the Lord. They faithfully follow the Lord. The Lord takes care of them on earth and blesses them. And then we tend to skip over verse 36, okay? So check this out, Hebrews 11, verse 36. So he goes through all the ones that have been blessed, the author of Hebrews, and then he says, but others suffered what? You guys with me? Awake? Here we go. We're going to read it out loud. But others did what? Suffered what? Mocking, right? Flogging. Chains. Imprisonment. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning, right? Like this, this could be the journey you're on, right? This is the journey some of the, some of the uh, prophets were on. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. Do you know that was in the book? The speculation is that's Isaiah, actually. We don't know for sure, but the speculation is what happened to the prophet Isaiah. They were killed with the swords. They went about in skins of sheep and goats and destitute and afflicted and mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in the deserts and the mountains and the dens and the caves and the earth. Even Jesus said this in John chapter 15. He said, remember the word that I said to you, the servant's not greater than his master if they persecuted me they will also persecute you. Listen, this side of heaven, I think we have to be really, really careful. We don't always know what's coming our way, right? We might serve the Lord and he might bless our socks off with things of the earth. And if that's your lot in life and God has gifted you that, like praise God for that. The, uh, First Timothy, Paul says, God has given us all things for our enjoyment. And I believe that to be true. But there are times that we're serving the Lord and with that comes difficulty and, su- and suffering. In fact, one of the mistakes that the Pharisees made in talking to Jesus, they always assumed if you suffered, it was because there was personal sin in your life. That's not always true. All right. Sometimes we're suffering because God wants to display his glory through us, through suffering. Hebrews 11 says, the earth is not even worthy of these kinds of people. Isn't that great to know? Like, man, these are like special, unique people in the eyes and the hands of the Lord that suffered for holiness and righteousness sake. And so these are some examples that, that James says we need to look at and remember that, that there are people, if you're suffering today, if you're going through a difficult time, there are people all throughout redemptive history that have suffered uh, patiently, focused on bringing glory to God even in difficulty. Okay, number five, here we go. Um, James encourages us, and I would tie this back into the first couple verses of James chapter one, that we are to count it all joy and find comfort in God's purposes for suffering, to find comfort in God's purposes for suffering. And so James chapter five, verse 11, James says, behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purposes of the Lord. And so hopefully, and I'm assuming most of you do, but you know the story of Job, right? Job, uh, actually, the first, if you want to read a very unsettling passage of Scripture, right? How many people came in this morning going, I want to read an unsettling passage of Scripture. All right, so Job chapter 1 is unsettling to me, right? Satan comes into the presence of God. God's blessing Job. God says, hey, check out my servant Job. Like, he's faithful in all his ways. And Satan, what does Satan do? Well, take all the stuff away and see if he still blesses you, right? Like, I always read that and like, like, like this is like a cosmic dare, 
of which Job is in the middle, right? And so in that, the rest of the next few chapters, Job loses his income, he loses his wealth, he loses his reputation, he loses his children, he loses his health. He even loses the support of his wife for a time. He says, why don't you just curse God and die, right? And and in all of these times, Job continued to worship the Lord. Now, Job took issue with God and he had questions for God, but in that he trusted the Lord And James says, consider Job, who was steadfast. And a couple things that, and he says, and you see out of the life of Job, James says, the purpose of the Lord. What are some of the purposes of the Lord? Well, Job's faith, letter A, Job's faith proved genuine, right? That in this journey of suffering and difficulty, Job never lost his faith. Does anybody know, so going back to the book of Genesis, where God took Jacob's name and he changed Jacob's name to something. What did he change Jacob's name to? Anybody know? Israel. Does anybody know what Israel means? I love it. That's exactly right. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. As, as God is naming his new nation out of which the Redeemer, Jesus Christ, is going to come. What would you name the nation that's going to represent the people of God? Wouldn't you want to name them the people who love God, the people who find joy in God, the people who find purpose in God, the people who find happiness, blessed are they, blessed in God, right? I find it fascinating. As God is naming his people, he names them to wrestle with God. And I love that because, listen, if you're being honest, there's times in your spiritual journey, man, where God's showing up and he's powerful and he's real and it's joyful and he's blessing. And there are times where you feel like you are in the desert or you're suffering. I just, this morning I was Yorktown, I was leaving Yorktown. I got to minister and pray with one of our ladies who's a young widow, man. Her her husband died way too young and she's suffering, right? But yet she shows up and she worshiped the Lord this morning. Some of you are here this morning, and you're suffering, and when you show up and worship the Lord, can I just tell you, it encourages me as your pastor. Because here's the deal. You could say, you know what? God's not real. God's not with me, whatever. But the fact that you show up and you worship anyway, and you cling, and you kind of in some ways go to go in hand-to-hand combat with God Almighty. Now, you're going to lose that battle because Job lost that battle, okay? But you're still saying, I choose to believe even when it's difficult. You're wrestling with God in the midst of suffering. Thank you, thank you, thank you for continuing a journey in faith. It doesn't mean it's always easy. You still grappled with God and said, I'm believing no matter what. Amen, church? And so, man, let's encourage one another. We'll just let her be, right? Job grew, grew closer to God, and ultimately he's humbled by God, and he continues to worship the Lord even in difficulties. And then let her see, Job receives the increased blessing from the Lord. And so, you know, again, God sees... 1 Corinthians 15, resurrection of Christ. What's the so what after Paul spends the whole chapter of 1 Corinthians 15 on the resurrection of Christ? The final so what is, therefore, God sees, God rewards. He's going to take care of us, okay? And so Job receives this increased blessing. All right, number six, here we go. Finally, when we patiently endure hardship, it calls us to remember God's character. So James reminds us, let's remember God's character, verse 11 of James chapter 5. He says, behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord. And then he finishes with this, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Listen, 
when, it, when you're in the midst of suffering, it's easy to think, man, I've been forgotten. You haven't been forgotten. Amen? That God, God is with you. He's a compassionate God. Letter A, James says, God is compassionate. 1 Peter 5, I love 1 Peter 5, where Peter says, cast all your, anybody know the verse? What? Cares. Not some of them, right? All of them. Worry about your finances. Cast that care on God. You're worried about how you're going to make your mortgage. You're worried about rising inflation. You're worried about whoever's the president, like the next president's going to dictate your life. Right? Cast your care. You're worried about your pets. You're worried about your children who are not following the Lord. Like You can cast all your cares on God. Why? He cares for you. The creator God of the universe cares for every single one of you in this room. It's amazing, right? And so we get to go to him. He's compassionate. We cast our cares. And when we cast our cares in him, letter B, James reminds us he's merciful, Like right? God does not give us what we deserve. Even when Sean Brown is grumbling, he still doesn't get what he deserves because God is merciful. I praise God for that, man. If I got what I deserved, I'd be a mess, right? God is a merciful God. And now finally, last verse here this morning. It feels like a little bit of an awkward transition that James makes here, uh, but I really, really love this verse. I actually thought about leaving it out, but I, I just want to hit on it, and I think it has its place. So it's James chapter 5, verse 12. Ready? But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you might not fall under condemnation. Here's why I think James tacks this on in the section that he's teaching about suffering. And so point number seven is your words should be a measure of your integrity. I think when we are suffering, it's easy to think that we're a victim of circumstances. And sometimes when we're suffering, we think we can cut in uh, corners of integrity and righteousness because we think we deserve something, right, more than we're getting. And I think James is reminding these believers, even when you're suffering, let your words be true. If you said yes to something, see it through. In fact, uh, the Jews had a really complex system of oaths, okay? So they would they would take an oath, and if, if they swore by earth, it meant one thing. If they swore by the temple, it meant another thing. If they swore by heaven, it meant another thing, right? And, and if you swore by Jerusalem, it meant another thing. It would be like us going, well, I swore by Washington, D.C., and I didn't swore, swear by Richmond. So I didn't quite mean it quite as much, right? And so, and so James and Jesus taught this in Matthew chapter 5 too. So James, of course, heard the teaching of Jesus and he's like, this is ridiculous, right? Yes and no is sufficient, amen? And, uh, and so if you say yes to something, see it through. And by the way, one of the things that I've learned in pastoring, and, and I think some of you guys, when your life gets really, really busy at times, there's a second word that James encourages us to use that I have found to be extremely freeing at times and really hard to say. You ready for the word? No, 
right? Like, I'm, you know what? No, I'm just too busy right now. I can't, I can't take that one on because I want to see it through. If I'm going to say yes, I'm going to see it all the way through. And I think sometimes, especially if you're a leader type, you think you got to, you know, one of the little, I'm going to give you a slogan we use behind the scenes at Coastal sometimes. I was like, sometimes I say, if you want to get something done, find a busy person and give it to them, okay? Because busy people get more stuff done. And so, and sometimes busy people, because they're leaders, they say yes to too many things. And all of a sudden they're like, I don't know if I can see that through. I said yes to it. I want to be my mindful of James and have integrity and see it through. But sometimes a really freeing word is, hey, you know what? No, now's not the time for that. No, I'm going to say no to that for now, right? Isn't that freeing? Anybody say no? All right, practice it with me. Here we go. Count of three. One, two, three. No. Doesn't it feel great just to say that? No, I'm not doing that. So, and we're all freed up. Don't say that to your spouse. Okay, so, um, so listen, I know, um, I know we all come in here with our burdens this morning. And so I want to tell you a story. Uh, I told this story at Yorktown on the very first week when we started James. So if you were there, you heard it, okay? So forgive me if you've heard it. But I want to, br- because I think James brings this full circle, I want to tell you the story, and then I want to do a benediction, okay? And anybody know what a benediction is? What's benediction mean? Anybody know? It's, it's a, it's a it, how many y'all old school church people, and you remember they benedicted every week, right? Okay, the word benediction means blessing, and so I want to speak a blessing over you, and then we're going to close with singing, okay? So here's the story I want to tell you. The story I want to tell you is a true story. It's about a woman that many of you know, but probably most in this room will not know. She began following the Lord uh, later in her life, and, and the, those of us who knew her, knew that God had really radically changed her from the inside out. She was probably one of the most joyful people I ever knew. And I, uh, she left, left just an incredible, um, lasting impression on me, for sure, and many, many others who knew her. Now, even though she was filled with joy, um, her journey was extremely difficult. I, I suffered at levels that many people, I don't know many people that suffered like she suffered. I mean, she was in the throes of suffering. Her journey began uh, that I remember the difficulty somewhere somewhere between 2010, 2012. She was diagnosed with a very um, aggressive form of breast cancer. She went through lots of procedures and was declared to be cancer-free after a couple years of treatment. She lived in a really, really nice neighborhood in York County, and then she became the victim of an elaborate fraud scheme where she literally lost everything she owned, and I mean everything. Um, Total poverty. In fact, I'm, in fact, I was with Pastor David when we were helping her move, and we were in Pastor David's little pickup truck at the time. He had a little pickup truck, and we had taken everything she owned that she had left, which was basically the shirt on her back, and we put it in this pickup truck. That's all she had, and we were moving her to a. She didn't even have enough money to get rent an apartment. We had to. There was a friend that was taking her in. She had to live with someone else, and uh, and I remember as we're looking at this little bit of stuff that she had left in front of this pretty nice house in York County and going, man, what a transition, you know, uh, to go from this to having nothing. During this time, while she was a victim of this fraud scheme and had lost all her finances, her cancer came back with a vengeance. And the doctors told her that things did not look good. And so myself and the elders of Coastal, uh, we felt like she 
fell under the teaching of the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy and that she was a widow indeed. And so we said, you know, we're going to take care of her. And so one of the things that Paul says in Timothy is if there's widows, they should serve in the church. So we gave her a job at the church and she took over our front desk job. She was very poor. Um, she was had uh, terminal cancer at this point. And if you didn't know what I just told you, you'd have had no idea what she was going through. She was the most joyful uh, enthusiastic. Everybody walked into our building felt loved. Uh, in my meetings with her, as I was counseling her and coaching her, she had completely forgiven the person that had defrauded her of all her money. She never grew bitter at one, never. She had forgiven them and was asking that this person would come to know Jesus. And, uh, and so this person's name was Martha Bennis. Some of you may remember Martha. Martha went home to be with the Lord on February the 5th, 2019. Far too young. And I can honestly say, uh, I don't know many people who stared down death with such a quiet and peaceful resolve. Martha told me two weeks before she passed, I was asking her, I said, Martha, how is it that you're processing dying so young with so much joy? How is that, how is that exuding from you? And here's what she said. She said, I am humbled that the Lord would want me home so soon. Like, who says that? You know who says that? Somebody that's longing to see the day of the Lord. Someone gets up every day and says, I can't wait for Christ to return. It's going to be way better. No matter what circumstance, it's going to be way better. Someone who says, my faith is going to become sight, and I'm trusting that the word of God is true, and when I see Christ face to face, it's going to be way better. She had a steadfastness that James talks about here in James chapter 5. She had joy. It was almost surreal. Within her last two weeks, uh, Martha had a uh, um, conversation with Pastor Joey Tomlinson. He's now our pastor of our church plant in Deer Park. And what she said to Pastor Joey still makes me laugh every time I remember it. She looked at Pastor Joey and she said, you know, Pastor Sean didn't ask me what he always asks people when they're dying. He didn't ask me if I have any regrets. Now, the reason that makes me laugh is I never ask people that. So if you're in your deathbed, I'm not coming in and going, you got any regrets? Like, who doesn't have regrets? What a horrible question to ask. But Somehow in her mind, that was a question she was supposed to be asked, right? And so, so Joey started laughing because he noticed that I'd never asked that. But then he said to her, he said, well, what, what would you tell him, Martha? And she said, tell him that my only regret is I wish I hadn't wasted so much time. I didn't start following Jesus Christ until I was 40. I wish I had started following him so much sooner. Isn't that great? Listen, if you're here this morning... Don't look back on your life and think, man, I wish, my only regret is I wish I had been more serious and followed Jesus sooner. Listen, if you're a young person here this morning, find an old person who maybe started following Jesus a little later, and they will tell you, man, I wish I had started following Jesus sooner. I want to tell you something, church. This lady, Martha Bennis, went through trials, and she did it with so much joy that it humbled and challenged me. I said, I asked her, I said, how have you done this with so much joy? And this is what she said. Every night before I go to bed, I quote Philippians 4, 7. And the peace of God, 
which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so here it is, church. I want to I benedict over you, okay? We're going to benedict. I want to speak a prayer of blessing, and then the worship team's going to come up, and we're going to remind ourselves of the gospel when we're going to sing that, yes, I will praise the Lord whether I'm on the mountain or whether I'm in the valley. Amen? Amen. So that's what we're going to, we're going to go out singing, but first I want to speak a prayer of blessing. And so here it is, church. You ready? Church, may the peace of God guard your heart and your mind, and may you count your trials as tests, as opportunities to grow in your faith, to grow in your steadfastness, to remain eternally minded as you endure suffering for the joy that is set before you. Church, may there be no wasted trials. May there be no wasted suffering. May each one of them be an opportunity to show off Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen.